0: Well, happy Thursday evening, everyone. Yes, got a couple woos. Can I get a couple more, huh? There we go. The brave, faithful who forged through ice and snow and treachery to find your way here. How's everyone doing? Can we try that one more time? How's everyone doing? Good, thank you. I know there's few of you, but let's make it sound like there's many more, right? Hey, everyone online, we're really happy that you are here as well. Thanks for tuning in and uh, engaging with us, whether you're um, driving down the road, hopefully you're not doing that and doing this at the same time, or whether you're at home or wherever you are, we're glad you're here. Hey. I am uh, recognized that it has been well over a year before I have stood up here and opened the scriptures with you in person. Many of you are brand new to the church and you have no idea who I am. And so I just wanted to say hi. Uh, My name is Alex. I'm one of the pastors here. I've been on staff here for seven years um, in March, which I'm Pumped about just around the corner, and uh, I love being with you in person in fact, super bummed like over a year ago, well well, whenever the pandemic started, it feels like eight years, but in the beginning, I was supposed to speak, and then we shut things down, and i didn 't get to be with you guys and Then again, when we reopened and then got shut down again. I was signed up to speak that week as well, and I didn't get to be with you guys. And so today, when the snow and the forecast came in, the question was, are we not gonna be together? And I put my foot down. I said, absolutely not. Um, We are going to be together. No, joking aside, in all seriousness, um, we've missed a lot of opportunities to be here together in person. And I understand that some of you couldn't make it today for safety reasons, and that's okay. We're just really happy to still be here today, amen? happy to get to gather together and journey through the scriptures together. Um, And speaking of that, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn it on or turn to Leviticus chapter 3. We're going to continue our 52-week series through, I mean, sorry, 19-week series through the book of Leviticus. Now, I wanna make a plug for a couple things happening here at the church you may not know about. We do courses around here, um, and we have two in particular that are kind of up and running. One is a deep dive in a study of the ancient Near East, which is a time um, that the context of Leviticus is happening, and another one is called Bible 101. If all of this Bible stuff is kind of going in one ear and out the other, and you're like, hey, I'm glad somebody's talking about it, but I don't really understand what's happening, just want to give a plug for a couple of those courses. They're a great opportunity to meet people, also a great opportunity for you to get the tools you need to kind of journey through some of the more hard and difficult um, books of the Bible. If you have any questions about that, um, we have an info desk in the lo- in the commons, and we would love to connect with you there. There's also stuff on our website for those of you that are online. Go ahead and tune in. But today we're continuing our series in Leviticus in chapter 3. Now, we're going to read through chapter 3, verse 1 through 4 in just a minute. But before we do, a couple reminders, because it's important to understand that the Bible, and particularly the books of the Bible, they did not happen in like a vacuum apart from one another. In fact, one of the things we've discovered discovered is that um, the Bible tells really one grand sweeping story. And within that story, there are two predominant narratives that are sort of intertwined. And those narratives are incredibly important for us to understand. The first one is this, that there is a God who is unlike any other God. We've said this before, but one of the reasons why we have titled this series, God is in search of us, is because that is one of the things that is so incredibly unique about the God of the Bible. He is in search of you. He is coming near to you. He desires that you know him. See, we get that backwards in our world. Sometimes in religion, we think it's our job to claw our way towards God, to do the right things. And maybe we could somehow be in relationship with God. However, what gets turned around on us in this story is that God is moving towards us. Now, the second sort of narrative that is interwoven with that one through all of scripture is this, you and I, as the people of God, we are called to be a people unlike any other people. What we're talking about here is the dynamic when God grabs a hold of our hearts and changes us. We don't mean unlike any other people in the sense that we're better than everybody else, but that God has done something unique in our hearts and he has changed us. See, these are the two massive stories of the Bible and they sit on the backdrop of the book of Leviticus. Now, if you remember the book of Leviticus, it's the Third book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And in Genesis and Exodus, we are introduced to this God who is unlike any other God, and He creates a people for Himself. But we discovered that those people, through circumstance, ended up in Egypt, the most powerful empire in the world, and enslaved for 430 years. God, through miraculous displays of power, delivers his people from slavery and bondage in Egypt. He works through his, only his, his servant Moses and Aaron and, and, and Miriam, and he works through them to help deliver his people. And as he does, he brings them into a land he has prepared for them. Because believe it or not, God has good things prepared for you. This is the story of God redeeming his people and bringing them into a better land. And it's on the cusp of the promised land before they enter that God reveals his heart for his people. And the book of Leviticus is written to a group of his people called the Levites. They are the priesthood of God's people. What does a priest do? Well, a priest doesn't necessarily just stand up here and deliver a sermon or make sure that you can take communion. In the scriptures, the priest is a representative of God to the people and the people to God. In other words, the priesthood was designed to show the people of God what God is like, to teach them God's ways. And so Leviticus, the book, is a handbook for the Levites, the priests, to know how to lead and teach the people of God. Now, when we look through these pages, we see what feels like a bunch of mundane rites and rituals, details about do this and do that. And in some ways, it can feel archaic to our minds. It can feel out of date. It can feel old. It can feel like it maybe must have applied to a group of ancient people thousands of years ago. But how on God's green earth does this apply to me today? One of the things we've begun to understand through this teaching series is that this book not only applied to the Levites thousands of years ago, to the people of God, the Hebrews, the Israelites in their day, but this book has power in life for us as well. And perhaps it's in these very details, these ones that seem weird and bizarre and kind of crazy that we're going to see a side of God that is beautiful and mysterious revealed to us. And so that is why we're journeying through this book. This book, in a way, reveals things about God in such a beautiful and powerful way. Now, I told you to turn to Leviticus chapter 3. Is anyone there? Come on now. Did I lose you already? Whew. Leviticus chapter 3, we're not going to go there just yet (laughs) because this is why. Not only do you need to know these two grand sweeping stories behind Leviticus, not only do you need to remember the story of God delivering his people and what this book is, but you also, in order to understand chapter 3, have to understand chapter 1 and chapter 2. So buckle down, we're gonna go through the last two-week series. It's only gonna take a couple more hours, but by that time, the snow will fall and you can get home safely. Um, I'm joking, guys, but real quick. You guys gotta lighten up, by the way, but real quick. Leviticus chapter 1, Leviticus chapter 2, Leviticus chapter 3, they're like three puzzle pieces, and they don't make sense unless they are actually put together. And so Leviticus 1, if you remember, it was about an offering. It says this in Leviticus 1 verse 1, the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from in front of the tent of meeting. He said, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when anyone among you brings an offering to the Lord... See, this idea of an offering is something that you would bring to draw near to God. We've talked about how these things are symbolic deeply. These actions, they they sort of paint a picture of how to relate to God. And in chapter one, we talked about something called atonement. The word atonement can literally mean at one mint, And it's this idea that we have been forgiven. It's this idea that we have been made at one with God. We have been reconciled back to God. And here's what they would do. They would bring a sacrifice, some type of animal, um, whatever animal they could afford, one without blemish or spot or defect. They would lean then on the altar and they would acknowledge their brokenness and they would confess their sins. And in this process of acknowledging their own brokenness, this animal would be led to the altar and would be slain. What we've learned here is that atonement, this is the idea of atonement, requires a substitute. So in this whole picture, a substitute now, this animal has taken on the guilt and punishment of this individual and has been slain on behalf of them so that they could be forgiven. We're seen differently Right? You and I are seen differently when we are seen by leaning on the lamb. And that is the story of, Levit- of Leviticus 1. You are forgiven. In Leviticus 2, we talked about something called the min ha. This was a grain offering. And this was in response to the grace that God had given us, right? In response to his generous love and forgiveness, recognizing that it is going to cost the life of something else, the life of someone else for us to be forgiven, the grain offering is our response to that. It's our response saying, I've surrendered my entire life to you. It's recognizing that you, God, are the God of creation. I am created and I submit my life to you. So Genesis, excuse me, Leviticus 1 says, you are forgiven. Leviticus 2 says, now I have given my entire life to you. All of you know what it's like when someone goes out of their way to do something kind for you, right? Maybe tonight someone went out of their way to pick you up and to drive you someplace, maybe here, or maybe to the store, something along those lines, because you didn't feel safe, but they could go out of their way to make sure you felt safe. You know what happens when someone does even something small like that. It brings about such joy in response to their action. Now imagine coming to this realization that God is going to substitute something, someone himself for you. It brings about this recognition that my life is in your hands. See, that's what these two offerings are about. But now we shift to Leviticus chapter three. Leviticus chapter three is about something called the free will offering. Now, You may not have known this, but when we're reading chapter one and two, both of them start with when you do this, when you bring the offering to the altar, when you bring the grain offering. But Genesis, excuse me, Leviticus chapter three starts in a completely different way. It starts with this idea of if, not when. Here's the difference. When I say When it snows in the city of Portland or the greater metropolitan area, the whole city shuts down, except for all of you, right? When I say that, when, it's with certainty, right? That isn't an option. That is what happens every single time it snows or even doesn't snow, but it thinks about snowing. It's certainty. It's not optional. The first two sacrifices are not optional, They are when you come to me, when you give your life to me. It assumes that these will be the rhythms of the people of God. But by the time we get to chapter three, the tone has changed. And now it's if. If signifies that this offering is optional. God is not commanding that you have to do this. It's like me saying, if it snows, you don't have to drive here. You can literally watch online. It's an option. And that's a good option. Am I right? But all joking aside, chapter three is an invitation for us. So in the context of chapter three, what God is saying through the Levites is if you want to be close to me, then do this. But this is something not something that you have to do for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, I mentioned before that throughout the Old Testament, this offering is a free will offering. God is not demanding it. In other places, it's actually called a peace offering. So it's different. Some Bibles even call it a fellowship offering. What is fellowship? If you've been around the church at all and someone's been like, hey, do you wanna come fellowship? Sorry, first off, <laughs> if that's like a new thing, you're like, I have no idea what fellowship is. But it's really closely connected to the word peace. Um, and this is a Hebrew word, salam, which sounds a lot like shalom. The word shalom literally encompasses this idea of human flourishing. When you're in Israel, even to this day, you walk down the street and it's a common greeting to say shalom, y'all which is also a really good restaurant if you've never been there, by the way. But shalom, my brother, shalom, my sister. It means peace, it means blessings, but it also speaks of a better and total future. You are speaking life over someone when you say shalom. This is an offering of Peace. This is an offering of invitation. This is an offering that communicates. You are responding to something God has already done in your life. You are not doing this to earn or deserve anything. It is purely a response of joy. Now, with all that in mind, I hope you can keep all those pieces together. Let's now dive deep into the text. I'm glad you turned there. Leviticus chapter three, verse one. The Lord called to Moses and he spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He said, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when anyone among you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either herd or flock. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you are to offer a male without defect. You must present it at the entrance of the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. You are are to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement. Now, as the text continues and kind of goes on in chapter three, one of the things that we see is that God desires us to take apart the animal in a different way, to pick apart some of the organs and some of the um, different pieces of the animal, but not the animal in its entirety. Why? Why is God asked for such precision in this sacrifice? chapter 3 i think i read the wrong verse but in chapter 3 it says this from the fellowship offering you are to bring a food offering to the lord the internal organs and all their fat that is connected to them both the kidneys with the fat on them and near the loins and the long lobe of the liver which you will remove with the kidneys so god asks the people when they bring this sacrifice to use precision to carve out certain pieces but why In the first offering, the one of forgiveness, God says, burn the entire thing on the altar. But now in chapter three, he says only parts of it. And here's why. In chapter one, it's about forgiveness. And I don't know about you, but I don't just want some of my sin forgiven. I want it all forgiven, right? So not just some of the animal consumed, but all of the animal is consumed. It's, it's like, I don't want just a little bit of my sin and leave some guilt and shame. It's like, no, I literally want you to take every single piece of it. In chapter three, though, the strange detail is that God really only wants pieces, Now, if you remember in the ancient Near East, meat was incredibly precious, unlike times like today, where it's, we can get it wherever we want to, back then it was a delicacy and it was very rare that you were able to get it. But even rarer than meat is fat. Now, it's a delicacy because back in the day, um, you had to be wealthy, you had to be of means to even feed your animals. But in order to get your animals to have fat, you had to feed them really well. And so fat was especially precious. It was a symbol of God's blessing. It was a symbol of God's best, which is good news, right? After our COVID 20 pounds, right? Like that has been a symbol of God's blessing and his best. God in this sacrifice is desiring your best too. That's why he makes it optional. And that's why he speaks of the guts and the in, inside parts of the animal is because these are the most precious parts. These are the most valued parts. And in this offering, he is asking for that as well. Now, in addition to that, to the Hebrews, the gut is the seat of all emotion. Right? Have you ever thought of or, or experienced this where you're going through something and you just felt in your gut it was time to turn around? Like you just felt in your gut that that wasn't the right decision to make? That feeling, although isn't biology, right? Like we know our hearts and our emotions aren't wrapped up in our stomach. Although we did find out that they can affect our body. But to the Hebrews, they would know that as they, would, they would write and think this way, that our internal organs were a reflection of our emotions. And so in a way, what God is saying is not only do I want your absolute best, and I want it to be offered for free, I want all of you. I want your heart. I want your affections. I want that part of you that is moved and bent when things happen in the world around you. I want that. I want it. But I want you to be willing to offer it to me. Now, if God only wants part of this sacrifice, what happens to the rest of the meat? (laughs) Where does it go? Does it just get discarded? Does it just get left aside? No, God actually has specific instructions for those things as well. I'm gonna to go to Deuteronomy chapter 12 and you don't necessarily have to turn there. It's gonna pop up on the screens, but I'm gonna read it to you as well. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses four through seven. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, but you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all of your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. There bring your burnt offering and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give and your free will offering and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. There in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your families shall eat and rejoice in everything you have put your hand to because the Lord your God has blessed you. What do you do with the rest of the meat? You eat it. Sorry, vegetarians, but that is the instruction of God. After you have taken out those internal organs and all that they mean, God says, now I want you to take the rest and I want you to throw a party. I want you to eat it. Now with who? That's the next question, right? Because it doesn't seem to answer that question yet, but Deuteronomy will also go on to answer that question as well in chapter 16. God says this, then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessing the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place He will choose as dwelling for His name. You, your sons and your daughters, your male and your female servants, the Levites in your town and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. So God in this sacrifice of free will offering, taking apart the precious parts, the valuable parts, the parts that mean the most to us, offering those to God and then taking the rest and throwing a party, he says, invite this cast of characters, your sons and your daughters, resembling your family, Obviously, the people that are closest to you, the people that live with you, your male and female servants at that time would have also been people that lived in your home that were kind of like family, connected. And then he goes on to say the Levites, right? The priesthood. This is like God saying, take your pastor out to lunch, which I will not decline lunch from any of you if you want to offer me that, right? He's, but in the time here, the Levites weren't allowed to own land, own business. They actually had to depend on the kindness, the generosity, the sustenance of the rest of God's people. And so God is saying, remember them too, bring them in. And then it begins to get strong strange. Then God says, invite the foreigner. This is the stranger in the strangest sense. This is the person who culturally is not like you. These are the people who don't listen to your music. They don't vote the way you do. They don't eat the way you do. They don't live the way you do. In other words, these are other kinds of people. And God says your table is big enough for them too. But this question, like, didn't we just leave Egypt? Didn't we just get out of a foreign land? Didn't we just leave those people and their laws and their customs behind? And of course they did. And of course God has called them to be a different kind of people. But these different kind of people are the ones who invite the stranger back into their homes, back among their families, and back at their table. And then, it doesn't just end there, as if that isn't audacious enough. He says, the widow and the fatherless. The woman who's lost her husband. The child who has no mom or dad. This is a way of symbolizing the powerless in societies. In ancient societies, these were the people that were most easily taken advantage of and left aside. What God is saying here is do not overlook the powerless. Don't just invite people to your table that can do something for you, right? Just because they know somebody, they, they find a seat of honor at the table. But what God is saying here is do the opposite. Invite the people that have nothing to offer you to your home. Invite the overlooked and invite the forgotten. We're reminded that God has a heart for the people who life has dealt a very difficult blow. And if you are one of those people, hear me today, God sees you, God loves you. And passages like this, some of the most ancient and even strange and hard to understand passages are ones that remind you of that. Now, how do these all sort of fit together? In Leviticus chapter three, um, verse 5, it says this, Aaron's sons are to burn this offering on top of the altar, on top of the burnt offering that is laying on the burning wood. It is a food offering, in aroma pleasing to the Lord. Now what God is saying here is that the uh, Levites are to take the offering you've already laid, the one for the forgiveness of your sins, right? The one that like initiates this whole pathway, Leviticus chapter one, Leviticus chapter two. And on top of that, you're to place the free will offering. But why? Because again, these three chapters are like three puzzle pieces. What happens in chapter one and two should well up such a joy inside of you, such a freeing feeling that God has set you free, that you want to bring him your best, that you want to bring him your affections, and you want to do that and then set a table for everyone so that they can hear as well that God loves them and he is for them. But here's the the challenge that we have is that I don't know about you, but the closer I get to people, the harder it is to be around people, (laughs) right? The closer I am to others, the more I realize that they're going to do things. You are going, maybe not you, but the Sunday morning service are going to do things that bother me, right? Like even the people I hold in the highest esteem, There are those people that will eventually get under my skin. And some of the people that God described to throw a party with, those people as well are the kind of people that will get under your skin too. So how do we do this? How do we live out this teaching and open up our table to those who are different than us? Well, first we have to understand that all of us are broken Paul in his letter to the Romans says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm flawed, you're flawed. All of us in this room are flawed. We have this incredible capacity to do good to one another and in the next moment, knock each other down onto the ground, right? We are messed up, complex. That's what the scriptures teach us. And yet, God has still called us to live this way. He has still called us to be transformed and changed so that we can be the kind of people that don't perpetuate being broken to one another, but actually help heal the cycle. So how do we get past our differences with one another? How can we move forward? And how do we have a meal at the table with so many broken people? It can only happen this way, that a human heart, is captured by God, shaped and changed by the work of God's spirit. I'm gonna close with a couple passages from Paul and then we'll kind of wrap our time up. Paul says in Colossians 1, that once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free of accusation. See, God sees us differently than we see each other. See, that's one of the things that's fundamentally most important here. In this, it says, in his sight, you have been declared holy. What would it be like if we saw people the way God sees him? What this passage did in my life is it helped me realize that I don't see people the way God sees them. I'm much harsher to people, much harder on people. Over the last summer, we had a homeless camp move into our neighborhood. It was just kind of after the fires. And and I remember this moment of feeling almost panic, fear for the safety of my family. And as I was recognizing that, I kept thinking like, oh, what should I do? Should I call the non-emergency line? Should I like have somebody come up and help them, help these people move off of my neighborhood, get away from my family? And I'll never forget, as I was pondering these things and kind of stressed out, my daughter came up to me, Scarlett, one of my daughters who's six. And she asked me, dad, do you think they lost their house because of the fire? You think they lost their house because of the pandemic? Dad, do you think that something happened to them out there, which is why they needed a safe place in our neighborhood to live? And all of a sudden I was hit. These are the kind of people, the powerless in this story, these are the kind of people, the foreigner, that I had gone like this, but through the mouth of an infant and babes, as the scriptures say, through children, God has ordained his praise. God speaks through my daughter and reminds me that God sees them differently than I do. And my heart was wrecked. And I was just wonder how many people in our world are those kind of people to us. I think about the political world right now. I think about racism in our country. I think about the pandemic that's been raging and all the ramifications around that. And I think how easy it is as the people of God to see them through our lens But the passage here reminds us to see people the way God sees them, to be moved by compassion and love for them. Now, I'm going to ask that you would stand up, um, because I went like way longer than the red blinking dot in front of me says I should have. And I want to give you the benediction um, in summarizing this whole message and if you would, um, whether you're at home or um, whether you're in the room, just open your hands. This is also speaking a blessing over you. May you as a people be like Leviticus 1, recognizing the deep forgiveness that cost our Lord in heaven, his own son. May you be a people like Leviticus chapter 2, fully surrendered to that same God, giving your whole life to him. And may you be a people like Leviticus chapter three, bringing your free will to God, being willing to offer all you have to him. And in doing so, sharing that joy, that party with the people around you. May you be a kind of people whose hearts are open to the other, the foreigner, the one who doesn't vote or think like us, and the powerless among us. And in doing so, may you be a people filled by God's spirit that begin to change the world like Jesus did at the dinner table. We love you, Lord, and we ask these things in your name. Amen. 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 Well, hey, we're so glad that you're here here tonight to join us. Thank you again for braving the weather. Real quickly, if you have any other questions or you wanna connect with our team, the info desk is open, but please be safe. It's probably slippery outside, so move a little slower than you normally do. We'll see you guys next week. We love you. Have a great day.